Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. It has been so good to have so many of you high schoolers coming every Wednesday night. I think the last few weeks we've had over 80, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, some of you have been here for a long time. And remember in the student room, there's maybe 30 of you. Um, just seeing how God grows, or his church. But I hope that it's not because necessarily we want you to have community. We want you to, to have fellowship. If, especially if you go to another church, we want you to be encouraged. But we want you to know Jesus. That's our, that's our goal here. And I treat high schoolers um, not as if I am here to babysit you, but as adults. That's why I preach to you in the same exact way that I preach on a Sunday to adults. Why? Because I believe that you are more than capable of hearing good, solid, biblical preaching. Amen? Okay, I, I think that you would agree with, with me about that. I think you're capable, all right? So, Daniel chapter 10. We've been in the book of Daniel. And the title of my sermon tonight is Preparing for Conflict. Preparing for Conflict. Let's read Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to read the whole chapter here. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, Daniel was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of a burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michal, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and stood. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me. I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these. Michal, your prince. Chapter 11, verse 1. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, Darius and Cyrus, same person there, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Have you ever been in a situation where you were about to meet certain conflict? You knew it was coming, whether it was a conversation or maybe even a fight or a confrontation. How did you prepare for it? Did you sleep? I remember being in a teepeeing war with some of my people, some of my friends back in the day. And uh, we were pretty ruthless, uh, you know, shredding tons of paper and, teep, you know, toilet paper and throwing it on the lo- yard of, of friends, right? You know what teepeeing is, right? You're toilet paper in their house. Yep. So I'm in this war, I'm caught in the war and I and I catch wind, I caught wind, or rather intercepted the plans of our enemies. They were coming to our house, my house, this weekend. This was back then. And so in preparation, I got the hoses ready. I got my airsoft guns loaded. I watched Home Alone to get some ideas. All right. And I was all ready to find out. Uh, I was all ready only to find out that no one came. The information I had received was not true. Well, in verse 1 of chapter 10, which serves as the heading of this final vision, and this final vision stretches all the way from Daniel 10 to 12. This is the final vision and the end of the book of Daniel. We've got three more sermons, including this one. And chapter 10 serves as an introduction to the vision, but chapter one verse, or chapter 10 verse 1 is kind of the heading. You guys know what a heading is to the whole entire vision. It was a warning shot that was true. What does it say? 
In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. The key word here is the phrase, a great conflict. What does that mean? What great conflict? Is this a marital conflict, a friendship conflict? A sports rivalry conflict, a conflict between nations. What kind of conflict? Well, the word conflict here can be translated armies or warriors. Basically, what the writer is trying to say is that, looking at the verse, it really reads, and the word was true, and it was a great suffering A great suffering, a great conflict, a great suffering. And the suffering against God's people included warfare. That's kind of the idea here. How's that for a header? Here you go, Daniel. It's going to be great conflict coming, great suffering. Your people are going to suffer and there's going to be a lot of wars. That's kind of freaky, right? That's a little scary. Prepare for warfare and prepare for God's people to suffer. Remember, they're in exile. And so this is talking about the future. It's actually tied to chapter 8. Antiochus Epaphanes, those of you that were there, the Greece ruler that will come. Chapter 11 is all about him too. But this is not the message you want to start off, right? That's kind of scary. And we need to be reminded, friends, that just as faith in God is a gift, so also is suffering. That's why it starts off with that. Prepare for conflict. Listen to this verse in Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted, given, granted by God to you, believers, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, so faith is a gift, believe in him, but also that you have a good life. No. But also that you suffer. It's been granted, given by God to you that you would not only believe, but also suffer. And though as I'm speaking, we're not necessarily under extreme pressure and persecution, though I think we're under pressure for sure and coming persecution as one of brothers in Canada was just imprisoned for gathering his church. When you know a faithful pastor who's trying to obey God by gathering his church, is in prison, something has gone pretty wrong there. And though we don't feel that pressure necessarily as intense here, like in Canada, there are brothers and sisters in Christ across this globe that are being beheaded for the truth, that are being imprisoned, that are facing persecution We're not promised a good and easy life as Christians. Trials will come, even us. Persecution will come. James 1, 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. When, like it's going to happen. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, 10, Blessed, happy, satisfied are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so why is this important, this conflict, this suffering? Why am I saying all this? Charles Spurgeon, he was an old Baptist preacher, tells a story, and this gets to my point, of a Baptist minister named Mr. Mac. Mr. Mac Daddy. No, I'm just kidding. Mr. Mac. 
He's a Scottish man. And at a young age, he left home and he served in the Scottish army for years. After years, years later, he became a minister. And on one occasion, he went to preach in Glasgow, Scotland, which was the hometown of his aged mother. His mother had not seen him for years. And though he had not seen her in years, he knew her the moment he laid eyes on her. But the elderly woman looking at him did not recognize him. I mean, imagine that. Your own mother does not recognize you. Once in his childhood, Mr. Mack, his mother accidentally wounded his wrist with a knife And at the time of that wound, as it was healing, his mother told him that when he gets older, she will know him by the big scar that he had formed on his wrist. And so when his mother years later did not remember him, you know what he did? He lifted up his shirt. He said, mom, mom, don't you remember the scar? Moments later, they were in arms, hugging. Why why do I tell you this? Spurgeon was pointing out that affliction is the identification mark of the people of God. Our scars, persecution, suffering, they point to God and his glory, how he gets us through it. And we suffer with Christ. We bear the marks of Christ. But also affliction is the identification mark of the people of God. We suffer with our captain. So we need to prepare, in other words. So how would you prepare for coming conflict? If this were Hollywood, you might pull a Rocky Balboa. You know, the famous scenes, he's getting ready, he's doing push-ups, right? We kind of romanticize this idea, like Avengers suit up, you know. They're getting all the epic music. How do we prepare for the coming conflict? We need to suit up in order to prepare. And I have three truths we are going to consider, and I've already kind of talked about suffering And the first thing is this that we see in the text. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. That's the first thing we need to understand when we're preparing for coming conflict or coming trials or coming persecution is to not underestimate the power of prayer. And this is all over the text. As we read in verses 2 through 3 and in verse 12, Daniel is mourning. It says that he has humbled himself. He has sought to understand by prayer The insight and understanding of the vision, probably from chapter 8. And if that isn't enough, not only is he mourning, praying for 24 days straight, he's fasting. (laughs) It says he ate no delicacies, no meat. I can't even imagine that. No wine entered his mouth, nor did he anoint himself. He didn't even shower. No, that's not what that means. Nor did he anoint himself at all for four, for full three weeks. Why is he mourning? Why is he fasting like this? Why is he so upset? It's a great question. I mean, think about it. Can you think of something that would cause you to mourn and fast and pray like that for three weeks? It must be something pretty serious. There's two reasons why he's doing this. And the first, Daniel wants answers to the vision in chapter 8. If you look at chapter 8, verse 27, at the end of it, Daniel says, he was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So he's probably mourning because he wants this understanding there. Second, verse 1 of chapter 10, 
gives us the context. It is the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. What's really interesting here is that in the first year of King Cyrus, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, God calls King Cyrus his shepherd that would send his people back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And so in the first year, actually, many Israelites got to go back to their hometown. They did. And so Daniel, he's left in Babylon. He's left in ancient Persia. Well, hundreds, if not thousands of Israelites have already got to go home and they're rebuilding the temple. Ezra's an amazing book of the Bible. But years into building the temple, they meet persecution. And these people start to lie about God's people saying that they will rebel against the king of Persia. And so the king of Persia then makes a decree and tells them to stop building the temple. And that's exactly why I think Daniel is now fasting and mourning. He's praying on behalf of his people. And the fact that the temple has been stopped and the persecution they are facing. That's what drove Daniel to mourn and pray for his people. But what use was his prayer? What use was it? I know sometimes we talk about prayer in the Christian life and we'd say God answers prayers. But really, do we believe that? Do we, do we really live by that? What use was this? I mean, is it enough to hashtag prayer? Look at verse 12, chapter 10. I want you to see this. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. Then he said to me, that is the angel, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. In other words, I would not have come if you would not have prayed. (laughs) This implies that the visitation would have never happened if Daniel did not pray. But the very prayer of Daniel, just an ordinary Christian, an ordinary man, just like you, just like me, is praying and he prays angels down from heaven to earth pretty much. (laughs) It's pretty incredible. But then if you look at verses 13 through 14, this angel says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that is a demonic presence, withstood me in this spiritual warfare for 21 days. And the implication there is that Daniel's prayer sustained this behind the scenes triumph over demonic forces. Do you know that your prayer, that when you pray, it has an effect on the spiritual warfare that is happening behind the scenes. That Satan is at work from keeping God's word, from entering your soul, from keeping people in bondage to sin. And when you pray, you thwart the plan of the devil and God uses your prayers to answer it. That's incredible. That Daniel's prayer is heard and will affect an entire nation. One of your prayers can do that in America, for America. Why? Not because of the strength or degree of faith in your prayer, but because of the God you pray to. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. And yet, my prayer life is so fickle. 
I bet that if we understood the power of prayer, we'd be on our knees a lot more for that one friend who has left the faith. Or that one brother or sister in Christ who is still in bondage to that sin. Or that family member that does not know Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Secondly, in preparing for conflict, do not underestimate the power of God. This is the main portion of uh, chapter 10. And so we got to go back and we got to survey this amazing visitor messenger that literally flattens Daniel. Who is this guy? Who is, who is he that comes? <laughs> who is this man clothed in linen? Let's consider his appearance to find out. I'm not going to just presume. So this angel or this being or this thing He's wearing linen, which is, verse 5, we see that, which is priestly garments. So he looks like a priest. He has a rich gold sash, a belt around his waist, a face like the appearance of lightning, eyes like flaming torches, arms and legs like furnished bronze, all of which is very similar language to Revelation 1.15 when talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his glory, in his divinity. Now, does this person really have legs and arms of bronze and eyes of flames? No, he's using phenomenal language because there's no words to describe what he's actually seeing. It's so majestic and glorious. There is no words for it. it so this description is like John's in Revelation 1.15 of Jesus Christ. Yes, but we must ask the question, assuming this to be, I think this is the same being in verses four, 5 through 9 as it is in verses 12 through 13. And so do we think that Jesus would really be one to be held up by demonic forces and needed help from the angel Michael? Probably not, because Jesus is omniscient. And so I agree with most scholars that this is a warrior-like angelic being that reflects the glory and majesty and even holiness of God. Not to the fullness of God's holiness, majesty, and glory, but it's a reflection of that. The angel is a reflection of God's power. And though it is not God, Daniel is nonetheless flattened by his presence. <laughs> He's devastated. He's destroyed. And this is just an angel. This isn't even God. Think about it. Here, Daniel, he's famished from fasting. Some of you, after running a long mile or whatever, you're famished. Like you're literally about to pass out. It's been 24 days. And Daniel's in his 80s, okay? He's not necessarily in the greatest of shape. I mean, he's on his way out. He's old. Famished from fasting. In his 80s, physically and psychologically, he is flattened by this angelic being and there is nothing casual about this visitor at all and here's something i think you need to understand student about the bible's teaching of what happens to people when they are confronted with the holiness and majesty of god even if it's just a reflection of it people die when that happens they are devastated they are changed Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord. He says, woe is me. I'm damned. He curses himself. He's frightened. Peter, when he recognizes Jesus as Lord, he trembles. 
And yet there are some in the modern Christian church culture who seem to assume they have manifestations of God without any trauma. For example, a man once wanted to speak with Pastor John MacArthur after meeting somewhere. He told him how he often saw the Lord, had visions of him, and that Jesus talked with them often. And as an example, the man said, he'll come and speak to me even while I'm shaving. MacArthur's response to him was, I just have one question. Do you stop shaving? In other words, are you, does it just, does it interrupt what you're doing? Because people in the Bible who have manifestations or see the living God, don't just keep on shaving. <laughs> They're devastated. It's like all those televangelists on TV claiming to see the Lord. And I had a vision of God and I have this miracle water. I could heal you though they're bald and are wearing glasses. Like if they could heal, then they could heal. Never mind. (laughs) They're wearing glasses. Fix your own eyesight. Come on, man. Such flippancy, right? No, if you saw the living God, you would be dead. In his divinity. When you see such flippancy, it should make you question. Because when the, in the Bible, when people chat with the Lord in all of his divine glory, they are left like Daniel, unable to stand. And this is what the power of God and the truth of God do to us. And also, also, two truths can be true at once. Two things can be true at once. Not only does it devastate us, but it also there's an encouraging side of things. That if you're God's child, this is the power of God that defends you, that keeps you, that guards you. That as you're moving into the conflict and persecution and trial, you have a God who is all powerful. Who flattens people. <laughs> I want that guy on my side, don't you? And isn't that what we see in the text? Yes, we see the holiness of God, which then reveals our sin. We're we're on our face like Daniel. Our knees are knocking. But also we see this tender side of God in this angelic being. If God's holiness is what flattens us, it is his mercy and grace that show us his priestly nature, that, that encourages us, that comforts us, that strengthens us. Look at verse 11. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. He's trying to encourage him. Daniel's just flattened. And so that's what the law does. It shows us our unworthiness. We're flattened by it. But then God's grace comes in and encourages us. Verse 18, look at verse 18. Again, having one of the of appearance of a man touch me and strengthen me. And he said, Oh, man, greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak. Little L Lord, not Yahweh. Speak for you have strengthened me. Student, where does this truth leave us? I think it leaves us thankful with gratitude. Gratitude for the fact that God's people went through so much suffering so that you could have God's word today. Think about the suffering they had to go through. And we sit here in our warm, comfortable houses on these awesome chairs, studying God's word, where God's prophets and the people that, the vehicles in which God used to bring us his word were slaughtered and martyred. 
This should leave us grateful and also grateful for the mercy and grace of God to bring comfort to us when we are devastated by our, un, uh, by our own unholiness. And the gratitude that we have to serve this almighty, all-powerful God who cannot be stopped or defeated by any demonic force. Thirdly, do not underestimate the power of prayer, the power of God, and do not underestimate spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. It's just a short point here, maybe. (laughs) I think we don't think about this often, but spiritual warfare is real. And though we aren't at war physically, spiritually we are. There are people in this youth group that I know who have been snatched away from the faith. Who I know who I know that has, has, has had demonic oppression in their own households. Who have been snatched by the devil and taken and work to be to worship in other false religions. Who have been snatched by false doctrine. Satan is at work. I even think of our pastor Perry. He had a terrible move here. The first house that he tried to buy, the sellers backed out on the day he was supposed to move in. Their movers, the movers that were supposed to move all their stuff from Phoenix all the way up here, they would not do it. They almost left it on his, at, at his old home, though he was here. And his wife recently had to get had appendicitis and had to get her appendix removed. It's like, what? <laughs> the devil's at play, man. We're in a spiritual battle. And the devil uses three primary ways to persecute the church. One is anti-Christian government, which is evident in our country. Second is false religion, which is even more evident. And sexual seduction, sexual sin, which is the most evident. <laughs> I mean, just think about the sexual sin in our culture currently. What we affirm. The free murder of children. The LGBTQ plus community. We love them. I'll have to preach on that another time. Daniel 10. Demonic powers are at work. They're trying to hinder the angels from coming to give Daniel a word. But Daniel's prayers triumph. He was engaged in spiritual warfare. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Who is this prince of Persia? Who is this prince of Greece? This prince character that is causing oppression upon God's people. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. Poor Gabe. He's going to have five minutes to preach to the junior hires. It's okay. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Talking to believers. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Wow. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Just flip over a few more verses. And so those that are not in Christ are controlled by not only their flesh, but the prince of the power of the air. Now look at this chapter 6 verse 10. Spiritual warfare. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, church, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. How are we going to do that? We stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you could extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That is faith does that and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, church, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication praying like Daniel for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Man, that's so good. I don't want to scare you with these things, but to awaken you, we are in a spiritual warfare. This is the application here, Ephesians 6. Take up the whole armor of God. And I'm going to let you talk about that in your life groups. Student, as we prepare for conflict, we must know that we have the victory in the end. In the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't this what scripture is all about? The story of God's plan of redemption, which is to crush the head of the serpent. It's Psalm 2 to place all his enemies under his feet. And this is our only hope. Our only hope moving forward. That is Jesus Christ. And he is the one that ultimately strengthens us, comforts us, pulls us up off the ground when we're trembling like Daniel. Puts us on on our feet and says, fear not, for I am with you. For I am with you. For I have defeated sin and death. And I want to end by just looking at these verses. 1 John 3, 8. This is our hope. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Will he fail? Hebrews 2.14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The cross was the victory blow to Satan. Crushing his head. Revelation 20.10. This is what's going to happen. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There are two teams at play here tonight. Which team are you on? I don't know you. I know some of you. Some of you I don't know. But I don't know about, I, I pray that you're on the winning team with Jesus. That's our prayer here. That's why we do this. Because we're in a spiritual battle. That's why we preach God's word. I pray you're on the winning team with Jesus who died on the cross for sinners and he rose again crushing sin and death and the devil's head.
Jesus has the victory. And so, as we prepare for conflict, do not underestimate the power of prayer, the power of God, and spiritual warfare, but continue to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Christus victory, victus. He has the victory. He will win. He has. And now we await until he comes again and puts all his enemies under his feet. And I pray that you will be on his team when that happens.